Amen. You may you may have a seat. And for those of you who are uh, haven't been here a couple the last couple weeks, or you're just tuning tuning in on online, you may wonder. You may have noticed that there's a casket here. And so that is in connection to this series we're doing leading up to Easter. So I want to take a few moments just to explain what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in order to set up where we're, where we're going today. So the series is titled An Honest Answer, and that title is inspired by a TED Talk given by an EMT uh, who reported that in the early part of his career when he would come across someone who had critical injuries and was not going to make it, and they'd ask him, am I going to die? His response would be to say, yes, even though they were going to die. Yes, you'll be fine. You, or not yes. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be all right. He, he was trying to make it so it's not any worse. Not, he didn't want to bring any emotional terror or anything. And then one time he switched, and he decided to give an honest answer, and he told the person they were going to die. And their response surprised him. And ever since then, he made a commitment that he would not comfort the dying with his lies. So with that in mind... I have reflected on what about us as followers of Jesus? When people have the questions, am I going to die, whether that's spoken or not, do we give them an honest answer? Do we even give ourselves an honest answer? Because we live in what's natural to humanity. I was going to say we live in a culture, but really this is beyond a cultural thing. This is just natural to humanity is to deny death, to, die, to try to distract ourselves from death, to try to act as if it's not going to happen. And the Bible says that the devil holds people in a spirit of, in a slavery to a spirit of fear of death. But Jesus comes to destroy that. And so what I'd like us to do for a little while is to live like many of the saints have lived through the ages, which is not to push death down, try to distract ourselves from death, think about it not as, as much as possible, try not to think about it, but instead to live with death before us, to not be afraid of this. So if you can give me this, here are the two, um, one's a Bible passage, one's a quote that I've, has been a thread through all of this. And the first is from Psalm 90, which is a prayer of Moses and says, teach me to number my days aright that I may have a heart of wisdom, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to have the perspective of what reality is, which is our life on earth at this time is only like this long compared to eternity, which just keeps on going. So teach me to number my days aright. Give me a perspective, and I will live better. I'll live better in this little time knowing it in perspective. And then, Jacob, if you can bring up the quote from, from St. Benedict, um, to desire eternal life with all the passion of the Spirit, to keep death daily before one's eyes. That feels so morbid, but it's not morbid. This, this practice is meant so that we have perspective, so that we live well, so we know that the most important things are the things that go on and on and on and on, not just the things that evaporate after a few days or weeks or months. So Dallas Willard is my my favorite writer, he passed away a few years ago. He's been my favorite writer, speaker. I got to hear him speak once in person. I, I used to take the cassette tapes, that's how old I am. I listened to his cassette tapes. He has this slow, deep, rich voice. 
So we would actually play it for some of our oldest kids. We would just plug it in, and they would help them go to sleep. That might be why they're smarter than I, because this guy was smart. He, he um, ended up being a professor of philosophy at USC. That's a tough gig to get. You've got to be brilliant. You've got to be world-class to be a professor of philosophy at USC. Here's the thing about him, though. He grew up in rural Missouri, really poor. The first time he went to college, he dropped out because he didn't have enough money. The first time his wife met him, she thought he was not wearing socks as some sort of like style, cool thing, only to find out later he just couldn't afford them. He dropped out of college, or he failed classes in college. Somehow this man gets to this point. And one of his biggest legacies, though, even though the academic world knows him, apart from this, because of his work in philosophy, is many, many, many Christian leaders have been influenced by him. And his mom died when he was two years old. And the last thing she said to her husband is, Albert, keep eternity before the children. Keep eternity before the children. Now, when he would speak to people, he spoke to lots of people, when he would speak to, to churches or, or groups of Christian leaders, he nearly always ended at least one of his times with this blessing that I'm going to read and, and we'll put up on the screen. He would say, I pray that you would have a rich life of joy and power, abundant in supernatural results, with a constant clear vision of never-ending life in God's world before you, and the everlasting significance of your work day by day, a radiant life and a radiant death. And people would often get thrown off by that last part. They would think, this is a great prayer. I'm glad that you're praying this for me, that I have a rich life of joy and power, that I have abundant and supernatural results, I have a clear vision of never-ending life in God, that my work would have everlasting significance, even just in the day-by-dayness of it, that I'd have a radiant life and a radiant death. It's a prayer he prayed for himself over and over again. And those who were with him in his last days Say so it, it was a prayer that was answered. The last thing that Dallas Willard said to nobody seen in the room was thank you. Now I bring, all, I bring this up for a reason that will probably get tied in later. But today, what I want us to think about as we're trying to give an honest answer, will you die? Will I die? Yes. So how does that impact how we live? Here's my question. Are you preparing for your burial? Are you prepared for your burial? And by that, I don't just mean have you picked out a, a plot of land or a vault? Have you decided whether you're going in a box or getting burned up? I mean, we got to lighten this up a little bit. It's a heavy topic, so I, I mean to. But I don't just mean, have you thought about the burial process? Everything that surrounds death, what immediately happens following death, are you prepared for it? And this, um, what initiated this for me, this idea, is two Bible stories that I'm going to read. And the first one, i got to say, I really like the book of Genesis, and I've read it a number of times. 
if you read the book of Genesis, you get like the big stories, like the most, you know, a ton of the stories, a good portion of the stories that show up in the children's Bible books. You're going to get creation. You're going to get Adam and Eve and the snake. You're going to get Cain and Abel and my brother's, am I my brother's keeper? You're going to get Noah and the ark. You're going to get the tower of Babel. You're going to get Abram responding to God's call to go to a land where I'll show you so that he becomes the father of faith. You're going to get Abraham about to sacrifice his son in obedience to God because there's nothing he can't keep back from God. And then God stopping him saying, no, now I know that you love me more than anything else in the world. You're going to get uh, Isaac, which we talked about last week, thinking he's blessing Esau, his, his favorite son, but being tricked into blessing Jacob, his other son, and then Jacob going and fleeing somewhere else and eventually thinking he's marrying Laban's daughter that he's in love with and instead gets switched and he marries her sister and then he marries them both. Then you get Joseph, Jacob's son, who's his favorite, and he gets the coat of many colors and now we're getting into the musicals and you know things that are familiar for that and Joseph eventually rising up and being number two in, in Egypt. But there's also a lot of other little hidden stories in there, extra aside stories. And I, I like those too. Now, a lot of them aren't PG. It's probably why they're not in the children's Bibles. You know, you're talking about the, the champion of Cain's descendants and, and how brutal and violent they were. You're talking about uh, Noah getting drunk and what happens when he's naked and he's drunk and what happens with his kids. You're talking about Lot and what happens with his daughters. You're talking about uh, Judah and his daughter-in-law, you're talking about Reuben and his, his dad's concubine. I mean, I, I got all those stories before me. Now, recently, I, this year, I've started a new Bible reading plan. And in January and February, part of that Bible reading plan was reading through Genesis. And I came across this story in chapter 23. It's the whole chapter. But it's a story that, like, like I don't even remember this being in here. So I'm going to read the first four verses of it now, and then I'm going to share it. It's also a story where I'm like, and I don't know why it's in here. 23 verse 1 says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and, a, and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Now, here's how the rest of the story goes. Jacob, or, um, Abraham does not have a lot of land, and he's wanting to, do, to bury, bury her. So he says in front of their whole community, I want, to, I want you to sell me some property so I can possess it, so I can bury her. By the way, the, the literal translation in the Hebrew is, I want to bury her out of my sight. Ab the weeping, the, it is a, from a deep place for a long time. He can hardly take that he lost his wife, and so he wants to bury her out of, her, out of his sight, that he can remember her, that he can go to her, but also that she's just not right there. So he says, I want to possess this land, what they say, he's like, I, he comes humbly, he bows down, he says, you know, I'm just a foreigner. They say back to him, you're like a prince. You are rich, you are powerful, you can bury her in whatever place you want, which sounds generous, any one of our places you want, except they don't say you can buy the land. You can use whatever you want, but we'll keep possession. To which he takes advantage and says, oh, any place I want, I, will, I would like to pay the price 
for that person's land, that guy's land right there. Now that guy gets flushed down everybody, and he says, hey, hey, I, you, I am happy to give you this spot to bury your, your wife. And Abraham says, great, I will give you whatever it's worth. Again, he was trying to, yeah, you can use it, but you can't have it. And so he says, you know, whatever it's worth. And then the guy's like, hey, what's it between you and me? Here's 400 shekels, which is way more than it's worth. And Abraham says, absolutely, I will overpay. Why is this in the Bible? Well, I, I got to digging into it more. And there's a couple of thoughts that go through my head in this. Maybe right, maybe not right. But Abraham lives before Jesus came, before he died and rose again. Now, in Hebrews, there's an indication he believes in the resurrection after the dead. But it was less of a certain thing. There was less of something he could grab onto and point to. And so I think we see in this the common human response to death. And one of the things that I think about is it does not seem like Abraham is prepared for his wife's death. She's 127 years old. Right? Like You'd think, like, well, yeah, you know, this could be happening sometime. Maybe I want to get it. But he seems caught off guard. He's, he's weeping, he's mourning, and he probably would do that even if he was ready. But then to be like, i got to find a place to bury her, and i got nothing on this. So I'm even going to overpay for it. Just as a sign that maybe he just didn't even want to ever think about that or get ready for it. But then, there's a reason that he didn't just, hey, yeah, let me use your place for this, that he wanted to own it. And the reason was, he could use the place, and while he's around, and even when he dies, sure, that'll be fine. He's powerful, he's got good relations with them. But what about his kids? And so he needs to own the land in an indisputable way, and then sure enough, that place of land is where he's buried, so his son doesn't have to think about it, paid for, thought of, where his son and daughter-in-law are buried, where their grandson is buried, where their, where their great-grandson is buried. He did prepare after that for the future. He prepared for burial. Now, many of us don't want to think about our death. We don't want to talk about our death. And so, having done lots of funerals, sometimes you get nothing. What did, do you know anything they wanted for their funeral? No. Bible passages? No. Songs? Get out the country western. Maybe there's a favorite there. Sometimes there are some things. Sometimes it is planned out. There are many things. And usually, people are blessed by knowing they are putting into the funeral what the person wants. So we've done action steps. I've, I've encouraged and challenged you to consider action steps. The first week, write your own epitaph, right? The phrase to be remembered by or part of your obituary. The second week, write a letter to someone who you love, as if this is your last letter to them, not necessarily to give it to them, but just to see, are there things left unsaid? You don't want to leave things unsaid. Say it now while you can, or communicate it now while you can. This week, my challenge is to plan your own funeral. In saying that, I th I, the thought occurred to me, 
last night, like, well, what is a funeral? What's the purpose of a funeral? And so I went to the second best source for answers besides the Bible, which is Wikipedia. Here's what Wikipedia says. It says, common secular motivations for funerals include mourning the deceased, celebrating their life, and offering support and sympathy to the bereaved. Additionally, funerals may have religious aspects that are intended to help the soul of the deceased reach the afterlife, resurrection, or reincarnation. Now, going back to the fir that first slide, common secular motivations for funerals include three things. Mourning the deceased, celebrating their life, and offering support and sympathy to, to the bereaved. I would say, in general, this is, these are the things that I think most people think of when they think of the funeral. Now, you'll notice that it says secular motivations. That's non-religious. That's not having God part of it. But Christian or non-Christian, not always, but maybe the majority of the time, my observation is this is what the funeral's about. Mourning the deceased, celebrating their life, offering support and sympathy to the bereaved. Now, those are good things good things to do. All three of those things can happen at a visitation. At a visitation, you can come to mourn the deceased. You can come to offer support. You can come and tell stories and celebrate the life. That can happen at visitation. Visitations, partly I think just because of schedules, are way, usually way more well attended than funerals. What I find striking is that this is the liturgy book that Judd and I will use for funerals. And it has in here a statement of purpose. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing at a funeral. And it does not mention those things. Let me read. This is the, there's different ones, but this is the one that we, I think we most often use, some version of this. It says, we are gathered here to praise God, to witness to our faith, and to give thanks for the life of our sister or brother, and name the name. It's got three things. We're here to praise God, to witness to our faith, and to give thanks to God for the life of this person. This says the purpose of a funeral is to focus on God. I don't think that's how most of us think about funerals. Now, going on, it says we come together in grief. There is this mutual support acknowledging our loss. May God grant us grace that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, and in death, resurrection. Dying, Christ destroyed our death. Rising, Christ restores our life. In baptism, this person was sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. That's not saying baptism is this magical thing that automatically it happens. It's saying what baptism is a sign of is a, is a person saying or a family saying about, about a child, we want to be part of the community of God. We want to be part of Jesus' family. But going back, three things. Praise God, witness to our faith, 
give thanks to God for the person. Now, any of you who've been to funerals that I've done or that Judd has done know that we make funerals personal. Our, our goal is to honor the person. And Judd is masterful at that. He has done many funerals, many difficult funerals. He is masterful at, even when he doesn't really know the person, bringing in the personal stories and honoring the person's life. We are also always seeking to somehow point people to God. The extent to which we can do that naturally and fittingly and appropriately is to the extent that that person or their family wants it. That that's their desire. So at Carl Schmidt's funeral, it was not hard for me to talk about Jesus. Because I knew Carl Schmidt wanted me to talk about Jesus. And I knew Jennifer Schmidt wanted me to talk about Jesus. And we talked about Carl. Yeah, it was great. But we also pointed people to Jesus and then Jennifer gets email from someone who's, wet, who's not part of faith, who is impacted. Well, that was what Carl wanted. That's what he wanted. What do you want at your funeral? Do, now, some people that don't have faith, I'm pretty, I don't, it's not uncommon for me to hear, like, I don't want a funeral. Why not? That's the end. But if we do have faith, do we want to point people to Jesus with our funeral? Do the songs we pick, do the, again, there's appropriate songs, there's different, every funeral is different. I, I don't mind the personal, I like the personal. But sometimes I feel like our focus is about this much on God and this much on all kinds of other stuff. And I feel like what we really need, even people who aren't that close to the person but are just at the funeral, what we really need is to get our focus on God. And that leads to the second thing. Jacob, if you can go back to that second paragraph, it says, additionally, funerals may have religious aspects that are intended to help the soul of the deceased reach the afterlife, resurrection, or reincarnation. That's not what we believe. We don't believe that at the funeral we're doing something that helps send the soul off. That these, these are, you know, we say the right words or the right, you know, do the right incantations and then that helps that soul get to where it needs to go. Now, if we want, if we want a soul to get to where it needs to go forever, we need to do it while they're alive. We don't wait till they're dead and then hopefully the right priest or pastor does the right thing and sends them off. We pray now for the people. We share now with people. Because when they're dead, that's done. So this is what we do at a committal. This is what we read. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection of eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, we commend to Almighty God, our brother, our sister, and we commit their body to this resting place, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Blessed are the Lord who die, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, says the Spirit. They rest from their labor and their work follows them. What we do is we say, we can't get this person somewhere now. So we look to the one who can and we commend them 
to that person. And then we pray, O God, in the beginning you formed us from the dust of the earth and breathed into us the breath of life. So also in the last days you have promised to raise us from the dust so that we might assume a new body at the coming of your Son. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. We thank you for this hope that this person who has died will be raised to life imperishable. If they know Jesus, if they believe in Jesus, we don't have to do the right things. Jesus has already taken care of it. And so we point to that and we thank God for that. And then we go on to pray for our own sake and our own comfort. I'm going to go to one other story. And this story is uh, a Holy Week story. But usually on Palm Sunday, which is this day, we are talking about, as Jenny pointed us to, the donkey and, and um, Jesus riding in on a donkey, a triumphal entry. This Holy Week story happens like during the week, but it doesn't happen on the Monday, Thursday, or the Good Friday, or the Palm Sunday, and so it sometimes gets lost in it. What strikes me, what struck me is that Wednesday night in the upper room, in the upper room, there's worship music and prayer, kind of like we did a few weeks ago. There's not a lot of praying out loud, but we do have a microphone so that if anybody has a scripture to share or a prayer to pray, they can. And usually one, two, three people might at some point in the course of the week. Well, this last Wednesday, Steve Mock came up, and he shared about the story that I'm going to read. He didn't know I'm going to read this story. He didn't know that was for today. And what strikes me about this is that when I was thinking about doing a series on death, nine months ago, I talked with Steve. Steve leads, has led multiple and is leading, I believe, right now, yet again, a, a group of cancer, people go, who are, have gone through or are going through cancer. And I asked him about, I, he's former vice president, head elder of our church, and so I've, I've run lots of things by him. But I asked him about this, what do you think about doing a series on death? And he thought we should do it, and he's the one who suggested we do it at Lent. I had thought about doing it at different times. I think you should do it at Lent, leading up to Easter. So I think there's something to this story, and I'm going to just read it, but I'm going to be very, I'm going to try to be pretty brief in, in what I share about it. So, Matthew 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the, house, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, she has, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So in this story, the woman who pours perfume on his feet, the focus, most of the focus is on money. Why? Because what she poured was her insurance policy or her retirement policy. They didn't have insurance policies back then. A Jewish, Jewish woman wouldn't have an insurance policy. They wouldn't have government programs. She couldn't even probably get a, uh, a respectable job if things happened and she somehow couldn't pay. So they would, they would store up and pay for an expensive jar of perfume that they could sell and then live off like for a year's wages, like could live off of for a year this. This is her security. 
This is what she has to fall back on. And she takes it and breaks it and pours it out. So she's giving it all to him. And they're saying, what? Hey, we could use a better use of that money. I mean, A, I was stupid of her. Now she's got nothing to fall back on. And B, if, we're gonna, if she is going to not keep it, then let's use it for good. But Jesus says she's doing that to him to prepare him for his burial. I don't understand that. I don't understand what that means. But it's where I've got, like, are we preparing for our burial? If Jesus has in mind preparing for a burial, are we preparing for ours? And by the way, those disciples that are around and getting upset about this, Jesus tried to tell them his death was coming, and they didn't want to hear it. Over and over again, they didn't want to hear it. No, 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 no. We got a different idea. I don't want to hear it. But this woman in intimacy, what her act, her, her sacrifice for him, I don't know if it's emotionally, I don't know what, but for him, that act of love he felt like was preparing for burial. Now, the, the thought I have on this is that to prepare for our own burial, I think it would be well for us to think about his burial. To prepare for our death, it would be good to spend a lot of time thinking about his death. Because here's why I say this. She offered, what causes a person to offer like, it's all I got. And I can't get it back. There's no putting it back in the bottle. There's no earning it again. It's, it's all I got. What causes a person to do that? Well, in another account of this in John, we know this is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And Mary had come to him earlier when her brother was dead. If only you were here! If you were here, he wouldn't be dead! She wants one thing. She wants her brother back. She just wants one thing. She wants her brother back, and he, he does it. He does what no one else can do. That is the motivating force. There is another story, I think, most think, of a different woman at a different point in time, but who does the same thing, breaks the jar, wipes, wipes the person's, um, Jesus' feet with her, with her hair, cries tears to wash his feet. Just, she does all of that, even though people are ridiculing her. Why does she do that? And he says, her many sins, because she's a sinful woman, her many sins have been forgiven. If we know how much he loves us, how much we're forgiven for, that he's the only one who makes a way to get our connections back, our relations back our, with people who have died or who will die. He's the only one, and the more we lean into him, the more we're willing to say, I'm ready. I am ready. It is, I am quite certain, based on the comments I got and many other staff got, that last week, or if this is your first week in here, everyone noticed this. That has just become, eh, don't even notice it's there. So let me give you a few action steps for this week before we close. If I can get, plan your own funeral. I've talked about that. Maybe this week, maybe another time, write it down, put it away. By the way, I think, I think some of us are like, 
if I do that, what's going to happen to me? Do I, do I need to knock on wood? Do I need to do something? Like, I mean, I think I might jinx it. And honestly, I do think that sometimes that's why people don't talk about it even as death might be approaching. We don't want to speed it along somehow. I'm going to pray about that at the end. All right, next one. Fast during Holy Week. For those of you who are part of our church family, fast forward in 2022 is coming to an end. Some of us who've been doing it every week are really as great of a fasting as fasting is. So is feasting and, and not fasting. But we said we were going to do it, and I believe we have. I believe we have covered every day from January up until Easter. This is the last week where at least one person is fasting, at least one meal. All of you who, whose health allows it, would you consider fasting once this week? Would you consider an offering to God for a meal, for longer? This is Holy Week. Holy Week means to be different, to be set apart. We can't, this is to do things to focus on Jesus that we can't necessarily do every single week. But we are going to give more time and attention to focusing in on Jesus. Fasting would be one way to do it. Number three, our Good Friday service this this Friday at 7 o'clock. Again, we, can't all, we rarely go to a service on Friday night. We will go to, some of us, multiple ball games. We will go to race nights on Saturday nights, or if there is one on Friday, we will do one. But Friday night, church, how about one time during a year? You come here so that we can remember this felt worse than this when it happened. This releases all kinds of things that we need. This has the potential to change our heart so we would be like a Mary. We would be like someone who's like, yes, I would give it all. I no longer live. Jesus lives in me. My life belongs to him now because he has forgiven me. I don't deserve it because he's giving me life after death because people that I love I can connect with afterwards because of all that he's done, he is worth it. He is worth it. And when we enter in, when we really enter into how horrible this is, then Easter Sunday's like, wow, this is awesome. But if we don't, then it's like, well, where are the eggs, the chocolate, the ham? Last thing. Last thing. Receive ashes this morning. Now, this one's a little curveball. In the Holy Week, or in the Lent structure, it starts on Ash Wednesday. And we did Ash Wednesday in the upper room, and some of you came and got ashes on that first, first night. It's to kick off this whole, seat, this whole time of thinking about Jesus' suffering and death of preparing for Easter. Today is Palm Sunday. Usually it's like this little break, this happy, yes, let's wave the palm branches, you know, let's, uh, we, one time we brought in the donkey, you know, that was in here, the real donkey, and it was Chandler's donkey and Chandler, both came down, it's beautiful. Anyway, but not ashes. Church tradition is, you take the branches from Palm Sunday and you burn them, and those are the ashes you use at next year's Ash Wednesday. So there is a connection. I'm just making that a loose connection. But I thought, in this series we do, what if we go through this practice that reminds us, an honest answer, we're going to die. We're going to die. 
So you may, during these last two songs, we'll have four stations where people will just put ashes. These aren't prayer stations. You can receive prayer after the service if you want. These are just getting ashes. Just getting ashes. Just to remember. Just to remember. Our life here is this long. Compared to eternity. It keeps going and going. And it gives us perspective. Now you can wipe them off before you leave. If you want. Or you can wipe them off when you get home. And nobody has to do it. But there is something to remembering this is who I am remembering this is who you are this is how much I need you so again if you put those up I'm going to go in, I'm going to have the worship team come up I'm going to go into prayer here are four things would you do one of these things or two maybe all of them Which one might you, the Lord, be asking you to do, or which ones? I think if we enter in, I think our Easter will be even more than it would be. So let me pray as you're thinking about and listening for a prompting that might be given to you of what, what it is you should do, you could do to prepare for your burial, to be ready for death, to not be like those who shirk back from death, who are afraid of death, but to be like those who know the Lord, who know the one who's defeated death. So God, right now, we just send away a spirit of fear of death. We acknowledge it's in us. Maybe for some of us, it's not for us, it's for someone we love. We're afraid of them dying. We send it away, and we, we send away the thought that somehow thinking about death or talking about death might bring death on sooner than otherwise. God, would there be no untimely deaths Would there even be places where there's extensions of life through healing? We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, not a spirit of fear or timidity, a spirit of power and love and self-control. ordained our days. Every breath is a gift. We thank you for every breath. And we want to offer our lives to you. We want to make every breath count, every day count, but we need your help for that. So would you break open something in our hearts this week? Maybe this morning for some, maybe during the week for some, maybe at Good Friday for some, maybe at Easter, would you break open our hearts? That we wouldn't hold back from you. We would pour out our whole life for you. And so finally, Lord, I just want to pray for a revelation of your love to break out in our hearts. 
a revelation of what you've done for us, of what it means. For some of us who've heard it so many times, would you have it come new and fresh and deep in our hearts? For some who are here today or who will be here later this week or next week, would, would there be an aha moment for what the gospel means, of what you've done? Would you break it open in our hearts? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, during these last two songs, we'll have people down at these stations at any point. If you want to come and receive ashes, you may come forward. In the meantime, we all together worship the Lord.